Welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. This is your friendly neighborhood podcast host, Daniel Bauer. Better Leaders, Better Schools is a weekly show for ruckus makers. What is a ruckus maker? A leader who has found freedom from the status quo. A leader who makes change happen. A leader who never, ever gives up. Many leaders have some sort of miracle morning or morning fitness goal so that they come to work energized. I know I worked with one superintendent, Eric, and he said, Danny, when I started doing the miracle morning, I said to myself, if I can accomplish that much in one hour before work, how much more could I get done during the day? Today's guest, Elizabeth Mitchie, had a very similar experience. You know, she gets up super early before the crack of dawn to go hiking in Hong Kong. And what she's found is that this is a powerful activity to reflect on her practice and to connect with her colleagues. We'll jump into that story of how she got into that habit and also how that's influenced her work leading a school to be creative and do school differently. So Ruckus Maker, Thanks for being here. And before we jump into the episode, I'd like to take some time to thank our show sponsors. I believe that school leaders are doing the best they can. But is it possible to be just a little bit better? According to Demetrius, a school leader in California, the best part of the mastermind is the hot seat. I learned so much from the challenges that we all share during the hot seat because the feedback that our members give is so insightful and valuable. Lauren, a principal in Washington, D.C., remarked that the best part of the mastermind is access to tremendous thought partnering. If you would benefit from getting connected to other elite school leaders and would enjoy discussing education and leadership deeply each week, then we welcome your application to the mastermind. Apply today at betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash mastermind. The Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is brought to you by Organized Binder, which increases student active engagement and participation and reduces classroom management issues. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. The Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is brought to you by TeachFX. Using artificial intelligence, the TeachFX app enables instructional leaders to coach more teachers more often and more effectively. Learn how and get a special offer by visiting teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. Hey, Ruckus Makers. I'm here with expert coach, Dr. Kelly Crane, who is launching our fifth mastermind cohort. We're so excited for that. And maybe you should apply, betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash mastermind. But we're here with Kelly because she generously shares a tip of the week, something you can put in place to upgrade your leadership practice uh, right away. So Kelly, what do you have for us? Hey, Danny. Today's tip is do not be a workaholic and do not let your teachers be workaholics. Insist at the end of the day that they go home to a balanced and healthy life. And as principals, you need to do the same. Yeah, you know, and I love that tip. It's so short and sweet. Here's the thing is you can't always be on. And, and I was talking to you the other day, Kelly, but I took this course on finding mastery. 
and it's uh, put on by Dr. Michael Gervais, who works with Olympians and elite athletes, and uh, Coach Carroll, who coaches uh, Super Bowl champion, uh, former Super Bowl champion Seattle Seahawks. They work with top performers. And I was surprised, pleasantly surprised, but surprised how much focus they put on rest and renewal because it's about recharging your battery. You can't pour from an empty cup. And if you're always on, always competing, uh, always trying to do everything with excellence, you never have time to rest and renew. So this tip is so needed, so so practical. I want to ask you a question in just a sec, but one thing we did at, at um, one of the schools I led is just tell teachers, listen, it's spring break. Don't assign homework. Don't assign projects. And if you do, I'm going to tell the kids formally in a letter that they don't have to do your work. And that sometimes would frustrate teachers, especially the first time they heard it. But over years, trust is built, all these kind of things. Uh, people understood this is a time to break, to rest, to recharge. So in addition to what I said, Kelly, anything else you'd like to add to this tip? It's so important that you have a balanced and healthy lifestyle. This job is stressful enough and you don't need to work 24-7. You heard it here. It's stressful enough, but you know that, Ruckus Maker. So take care of yourself and enjoy the rest of the show. Beginning her career in education with Teach for America, Elizabeth taught secondary English before going on to co-found and administrate a college prep academy in Houston, Texas. She returned to graduate school for her Doctor of Education Leadership degree from the Harvard Graduate School of Education, joining the Harvard School in 2017 as a researcher and member of the High School Humanities faculty. Elizabeth was named high school principal at THS in July 2018. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Danny. This is a pleasure. So let's start with the hiking club. You're getting up early, 5.45 in the morning. So can you tell us a story about that? Yeah. A friend of mine, actually outside of work, dragged me out of bed one morning. She said, you'll feel great if we do this. Um, There's a hiking path that goes up the central peak in Hong Kong that you can do in about an hour, hour and a half. So it's very feasible before work. And as miserable an experience as getting out of bed was, it was actually, it gave a whole new energy to my day. So recommended it to another colleague and it's now become something, not something we do every day, but I think about two or three times a week, a crew of us manages to get out of bed at, you know, whatever time it's going to take to be at the trailhead at 6am, which for me is probably about 535 and do that hike before work starts. And is that invitation pretty organic? Is it formal in terms of uh, who's invited or, or how do you get your club together for this hike? It's incredibly informal. Someone talks about it to someone and they ask to be added to our little WhatsApp group, which people use to sort of signal if they want to go on that day or not go. Or if the really early birds let us know, you know, it's pouring down rain, we won't go today. So it's a very, very informal thing. Sometimes if we know somebody really likes hiking, we'll kind of fill them in on it, but it's, it's been very informal. 545 again, pretty early. <laughs> and, and the yeah. listener, the ruckus maker who is thinking, you know what? I want to get uh, a little bit more fit for this school year. And I commit to getting up early and doing a hike or a workout or whatever. Uh, any tips from what's worked for you that we can pass on to the ruckus maker listening? 
Yeah, I think so. You know, the trade-off always, right. Is in order to do something like that, you have to go to bed kind of early. And a, a few people say, you know, I come home and I do work at night. So how am I supposed to get to bed early enough to get up? But actually a lot of us have found, and I think it's why we kept doing it, that getting up and getting that workout in before the day starts adds a level of energy to our day that we didn't have before Mm. and makes us feel like we've accomplished something before the day even started. And when you bring a level of sort of extra efficiency to your day that comes with that energy, it makes you kind of want to go home and get to bed on the earlier side and get up and go again. And so it's just brought this level of kind of health and community to this group that I think is very motivating because to be perfectly candid, if it, if it wasn't working out, people would have kind of dropped it, but everybody's kept with it. And I think, yeah, it's just, it, it, you can underrate what it's like to start your day with that physical activity and getting your brain flowing and in it, talking to some of your colleagues in a completely different context. So it's been really worthwhile. I recommend at least giving it a shot. It's funny, you know, you probably didn't anticipate it as an adult having a bedtime again, but here you are. Yes. And I mean, really, it's impossible for me if I am in bed much later than 10, 1030 to make this happen. And so it really, it's put me on a, a weekly, I mean, the weekends are different, but on in midweek, it's put me on a much better schedule. Mm. It works for me as well as it does for, you know, some of my friends with infants, I think. So it's worth it. So the energy level is one positive impact from getting up uh, and doing the hike. I might be grasping here, so we'll see. But I'm wondering, has anything happened out there on the trail? Has there been any sort of uh, inspirational experience out on the hike that has then translated to leading in a a school? Uh, And is there some type of connection there? Well, you know, everyone who goes on the hikes for the most part are colleagues of mine. And some of the colleagues are folks that I actually don't really interact with on a day-to-day because we work at a different campus or on a different team. And it's been really nice. You know, we do talk some shop, but I also have learned things about them and what's going on in their lives that I just wouldn't pick up. And honestly, even if we were in the same work environment every day, it's conversations we might not be having. So we, I wouldn't say that necessarily there's some new initiative or project that's come specifically from the hikes, but the rapport that you're building there, I think is is very hard to kind of put a put a price on. And I know it's just it just makes people feel like you're in something together and you're seeing each other in a different context. And I'm a big believer that teams need to build that kind of thing in um, if you can. And this has proven to be a really great way to do that. I just know more of what's going on in people's lives, which then you know helps you manage better. Yeah, it's invaluable and you know, the the line that you said that's sticking out to me is that we feel we're in it together, right? And you can't, yeah. like you said, put a price on that. So thank you. Thank you for uh, sharing that story. Absolutely. I'd love to hear a bit uh, and share with the Ruckus Maker listening about your graduate experience and some of your research. Yeah. So I, I attended the Harvard Ed School, their Doctor of Education Leadership Program, which is a really interesting model for graduate school. It's really designed for folks who are coming from work environments and are are ready to head back as quickly as possible. So you finish the degree program in three years, Um, a year of kind of core curriculum with your academic cohort, a year of elective curriculum where they let you pick and choose courses from the different graduate schools around Harvard University, and then a a year-long residency where you write your 
uh, capstone, you know, your capstone thesis, your capstone writing um, based on live work that you're doing on the ground. And so what I became very interested in is if you want to do something in school differently, whether it's how you design a course or how you run an entire department, or if you want to, you know, bring more interdisciplinary learning into your environment, what kinds of systems and operations need to change around that to really make that happen? Because as a teacher, you know, the best ideas really just, if you have to fight uphill every day to make them happen, if, if you really feel like you're always going against operationally what your school is set up to do, they're hard to sustain over time. So I, my, my research pulled from progressive education, you know, context, but also from business management literature and just kind of operations and logistics stuff that to sort of help understand, you know, if, again, we really want these teachers planning together across disciplines and they want to plan together across disciplines, but there's literally no time in their day to do that. It just isn't going to happen in a sustainable way over time. So how can you shift the schedule to realign to that? Things that seem really obvious, but almost never happen. And I came to the Harbor School because they were a really progressive program and a really innovative program and they were growing. And so they were kind of a right place for me to do my residency because they were asking themselves, you know, as we grow, how are we going to sustain? It was easy for us to be innovative and flexible when we were so small, but now that we're getting bigger, how are we going to still be agile? And so they were a great place for me to conduct my research and work with the management team. So for the the listener, it's, it's how do your systems, how do your, how does your environment promote what you say you're about, right? So if you want that collaboration that Elizabeth was talking about, but there's no time in the schedule, it, and I see it, I see it all the time. Leaders don't want to give up or change, right? For maybe fear, or we've always done it that way or whatever. And they, they want everything, but they're not willing to give anything up. It's, it doesn't work. And like you said, it's not sustainable. So I'm, I'm wondering if we can talk about the, the Harbor School and uh, what it looks like to do school differently. Sure. So I am, I'm at the high school, the high school level. So I can speak, of course, most coherently about that. But it, a lot of what I'm talking about plays out really at all levels of the school. The Harbor School focuses a lot on the idea that learning should really be applicable. It should really be something that um, engages students because they can see the pathway to where this learning will be useful to them in their life going forward. So, and I think when we, when we're designing learning experiences for students, we're really asking ourselves, you know, what's our life like as adults and, and what kind, where do we use the things that we learned in school or wish that we had learned something that we obviously didn't. And we try to construct learning experiences around that. So around those ideas. So, you know, one of the, the tenets that you see running throughout the school is that while we have a lot of content area specialists, we all are sort of on board with the idea that content in the real world is always integrated. You know, if you, anything you study, whether it's in university or if you're in a work environment is really going to interact with other subjects areas. So silos of the high school level of departments and, and subjects make it very hard to teach content or to teach skills in a sort of holistic way. So at our high school, we often have courses that are taught by faculty and designed from the ground up by faculty from 
two subject areas. And those could be, you know, things like literature and social studies, which are sort of natural pairings, um, folks would think, but also really reaching across to have the science teacher and the social studies teacher planning together or bringing in a language teacher when you're talking about context. So in a different environment. So I think one of the sort of key ways in which we orient ourselves is around trying to understand what kind of learning experience we're trying to generate and make the operations of the school fit that experience, not try to force it, force some sort of innovative experience into a really standard model. And really when I was identifying a residency site, that's why I chose the school. Both my graduate program were asking, did I really have to go all the way to Hong Kong to make that work? Um, and, and the answer was really that this was a place where they were willing to question how they did everything if it was running counter to what the vision was for the academic experience for the students. I think, you know, I connect that to um, sort of uh, This Is Marketing, the book by Seth Godin or my Alt-MBA experience. But it sounds like uh, the Harbor School is very willing to ask, what's this for and who's this for? Which are two great questions to apply when you're really wanting to question everything. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we always say things in education like design with the end in mind. Mm -hmm. But if you look at how we operate, that's so infrequently happening. There's a great article I read and the exact title is going to be, is this going to escape me now? But it's about orienting marketing around uh, the jobs to be done. So how do customers actually use the thing that you're trying to sell versus, you know, looking just at demographics. And I think we do a lot to try to engage students who are, you know, our core constituency, so to speak, around what they want to learn, what their interests are, how they learn, you know, what are the platforms from which you've learned the most lately and how can we kind of leverage those in our environment? Our course catalog is always designed with a great deal of input from our students because even though we have a sense that there are certain content and skills that we want to make sure we incorporate, how we do that can be done a lot of different ways. And if we do it, but they never pick it up, it doesn't really matter that we've taught it. So we really want to involve them in that design process. But you have to be very willing to let go of things that you have just always had as a student or a teacher. And I've been educated in and taught in very traditional environments prior till now. So I understand, you know, intimately how, how painful that can be. But it, it's, it's about asking yourself, what are you really trying to do here? You know, teach this student right in front of you or check a box. Teach a student or check the box. Yeah. Something to ponder. Hey, if we go back, Elizabeth, to the interdisciplinary work that the school does and some of these interesting pairings of uh, courses and authentic experiences, mm. can you offer the listener a couple ideas of what people have done? Absolutely. One really great example of this, I think, is the work our students do in our Marine Science Center. So our school has a whole host of really interesting, unique spaces that I recognize not every school has, but a lot of the resources we do have are because our leadership has made intentional decisions to, you know, to generate these spaces. And one of them is our Marine Science Center, which has amongst the animals and other equipment that it has, it has tanks where students are able to apply to do research that looks like the kind of research they might do if they were a graduate student at, say, Hong Kong University. And so 
they decided I'm going to study algae or this particular coral or bacteria in the water. And they, under the supervision of these marine scientists, they, they do very advanced research for their age. So it's not a traditional science class in any way, but it's, it's really showing them what it would be like if they were to choose science at an undergraduate or graduate level and have to generate their own hypotheses and really research heavily in a particular area and write about it. Another course that's been really popular at the high school is the project development course where students work on real world problems with a real world client and they they pick up everything that you would sort of pick up in a business managing consulting sort of experience, but it's all very real because the outcomes are really real. So an example of that would be about a year ago or a year and a half ago, they worked with a hospital in Kenya that was trying to open a school attached to it because it was a children's hospital, only children's hospital in the region. And they wanted to open a school that could serve students who were in hospital care. And so our students came on as essentially partners in the work and they did an incredible amount of research on what might need to be different about a space that was designed for students who were receiving hospital care. And they did a mock-up in our makerspace of their design. They spoke to the folks on the ground there, the construction team. Was this what they were looking for? Was this feasible with where they were and what their resources were? And when it was approved by the team there, they then turn around and raise 75,000 US dollars in Hong Kong for this for this project and they did that some through fundraisers and traditional means but also by going out to different companies and essentially pitching the project and they were given tons of feedback through the process about their slides and their presentation skills and their dress and their financials that they had drawn up and it was just the kind of experience that I really didn't have until I was in college and my business degree and they took an incredible amount away of those sort of social studies and English objectives that are never taught in this way. So the course counted as the social studies or an English course. It wasn't an elective class, but it was a really hugely impactful for them. And I think for the community that was, that is building the school. Um, And so it's, and it was, you know, it was real world high stakes. They knew why they were doing it, which made a big difference. I love those examples too. Very concrete, practical. And I think you know, for the ruckus maker listening, gives them an idea of, of how they can dream big, right? And what is possible. Completely everything, you know, you have to do incredible amounts of work with the boring things like schedules to make that work, you know, in, in the context of the environment, which I think is, is not always what people think of as being the creative element of it, but you actually have to get quite creative with, with the way you're setting things up in order to make those kinds of experiences a natural part of your school day as opposed to just a really extracurricular experience. Yeah. Well, connecting the dots, it seems like that was part of the the research interest, right? And figuring out how does the design of your school uh, reflect and support uh, the big ideas and values that you have. Yes. And they have been doing this for their 11 year history, but you know, the bigger you get, the more complicated a proposition that becomes. So yeah. Absolutely. Well, let's pause here, Elizabeth, for a message from our sponsors. And when we come back, we'll dive a little bit more into authentic learning and doing school differently. 
Better Leaders, Better Schools is proudly sponsored by Organized Binder, a program which gives students daily exposure to goal setting, reflective learning, time and task management, study strategies, organizational skills, and more. Organized Binder's color-coded system is implemented by the teacher with the students, helping them create a predictable and dependable classroom routine. Learn more and improve your students' executive functioning and non-cognitive skills at OrganizedBinder.com. Hey, Ruckus Maker. Imagine if every teacher in your school had a personal instructional coach. Well, today's show is sponsored by TeachFX, and that's exactly what they do. But don't take it from me. Listen to what some of the teachers who use TeachFX say. I would encourage everybody to to give it a shot just because, because, again, it gives you that objective feedback that you may not have been aware of when you're sitting there in class. It's a great diagnostic tool just to kind of check in and go, okay, here's the reality of how much I'm speaking or if I'm speaking in chunks or having conversations. Yeah, you know, I, I am, I'm more mindful of letting them, like not being so teacher directed, which is kind of, that was my goal. You know, like teachers have professional goals. And so that was one of my professional goals for being observed this year is less teacher direction, a lot more responsibility on the kids doing the work and the discussion and the figuring out. Learn all about TeachFX and get a special offer by visiting teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. And we're back, Ruckus Maker. We're talking authentic learning. We're talking about doing school differently. And Elizabeth, you just shared two concrete examples of how we could dream big and what we might be able to do with our students. Uh, There'll be some critics or skeptics, right? And rightfully so. And they're thinking, well, we don't have a marine science center. And so what might you say to them so that they don't stifle their innovation and creativity? I think the first thing to do is to look at the broader world as your classroom. Many of our best learning experiences for students come from teachers who take the time to leverage what is out there in our local community. Um, A partnership with Hong Kong U had students working on a reef checking project with university researchers. And really that was the product of an exchange, you know, between folks who worked at our school and folks at the university, they went out and they really said, you know, if we can't offer a certain experience, let's find the people who can offer it for them and be teachers who see themselves more as sort of curators of an experience rather than the folks who have to be delivering absolutely everything that happens. And so we, so I think if you're, you know, even with our resources, there's a real finite set of things that we can do, but we're very willing to look beyond the four walls of our building or the folks that we have on campus and leverage those networks that we really work hard to cultivate. You know, and I'll point the ruckus maker listening to a really great resource called a beautiful constraint. and. I know I think it's um it's not true that the most innovative companies and that sort of thing have the most amount of resources you know uh you see startups that are scrappy because they lack those resources and so that you know it's almost like a David and Goliath uh type thing and you could really rally your staff around that idea like what can we uh, accomplish given the constraints that we face but then your your very expert advice to look at the city or the town where your school is located as the school. And you've just opened up 
all sorts of opportunities that you can make uh, magical for your students. Absolutely. And with technology too, I mean, you can even go beyond that. We've had teachers arrange to have former professors of theirs Skype in from all over the world to give talks to students. I mean, really, we live in sort of an unbelievably rich time to be able to do that from a, from a networks and connection, connecting people to resources and experiences. I mean, I can't imagine that it's ever been easier in our history than it is now. Um, You're in Hong Kong. I'm in Glasgow. Uh, I know, right? We're modeling that right now. (laughs) And and the leaders I serve come from six different countries around the world. So um, that's a really, really good point. The last biggest idea I want to ask you about is is how you build reflection into your life. Mm, A great, it's a great question. Um, And I've been thinking about that a lot more because when I started at the Harbor School, reflection was sort of a required portion of my practice through my doctoral program. They actually insisted that a portion of my research be a reflective practice, which was great. One of the things I do is I've identified two or three people in my life who are friends in and out of my work context, actually mostly out of my work context. Um, They may be in education, but they're not working at my school who I can set aside time with once every month or every other month to really sit down and talk about what's going on in work and what, what kinds of progress I think I'm, I'm making or not making. And I also find it really important sometimes to talk to the folks I work with and just ask them the question, how are we doing? How am I doing? And just really wait. We talk about wait time a lot with students, but just really wait until they give me an answer. And many of them will. Um, they, they're really, people are quite willing to tell you how they feel about how things are going and, and how you're doing or how you're impacting their life if you're willing to listen. Another great resource that I use, there's a book called Immunity to Change by Bob Keegan and Lisa Leahy. And it's a great book about just how to sort of overcome inertia in your life when you have something that you want to grow or improve at that you feel like you're, you're sort of not really moving the needle on and how to build that kind of reflective growth process in your life. And I've, I've used their model a lot and I have some colleagues who have as well. So we try to hold one another accountable for our goals in those areas. And do you find that it's uh, it's pretty easy to, to, I guess you guys call or FaceTime or, or something like that to get together? Absolutely. I mean, it begins as a just catch up, which is fantastic because it means these people who are pretty critical to my life are, are sort of, I'm scheduled to see if, and many of them live on the other side of the world. So it's really it's fantastic to, to have that. But yeah, it's something we put in the calendar and we have our coffee and or wine, depending on who's at what time. And we sit there and we, we just set aside part of that time to talk about growth, personal growth, professional growth, how those things are connected to one another. I think part of why the hikes have taken off so much if we're coming full circle here is because it's actually a kind, it's been a very reflective time for us to have in the mornings where we're just up and barely awake, but, you know, waking up with the sun and really kind of thinking, thinking about things in a way that it's hard to, when you're just running around at work, thinking about the sort of daily things that need to get done. So I'm a big believer in having people hold you accountable for your reflective time. I don't think it's easy to, 
to sustain otherwise. No, it's it's really hard to be that candid with yourself, you know? Yes. The ego gets in the way and it, and it uh, on some levels, uncomfortable or is painful to admit where you need to grow. And so I'm so thankful that you have uh, these friends or, you know, we offer the mastermind with what I do. And that type of community allows people to grow because we'll push each other. So that's a, that's a big point. How are you having reflection uh, built into your life? And continuous learning that comes with it, right? We're, we want to hold ourselves accountable for being ongoing learners, right. which is easy to forget. Absolutely. Well, two more, two more questions here and we'll wrap up today's conversation. Elizabeth, uh, what message would you put on all school marquees across the globe if you could do so for just a day? Oh, that's a great question, Danny. Let me think for a minute. All school marquees. Well, I would, I would need to wordsmith it a little bit, but I think it would be something about how, you know, you learn when you, when you love what you're doing. And so something, I mean, I'm not going to have the the wording, right. I'm a perfectionist when it comes to that. Cause I was been a humanities teacher for a long time, but I think something to the effect of maybe even a quote from a favorite author that said something to this effect about just how we, we want to be a place where, you know, you love what you're doing because that's when you're really going to learn. I don't know if that quite answers your question, but Oh, it absolutely does. And it connects to that passion piece. My friend Jess says it quite nicely. She says, uh, love what you do and do what you love. We'll quote Jess then on every <laughs> marquee across the world. How does that sound? She'll love it. Thank you. Great. Elizabeth, you're building a school from the ground up. You're not limited by any resources. Your only limitation is your imagination. How would you build your dream school? And what would be your top three priorities? Mm. Well, you know, actually I went through an exercise like this not so long ago. And, and my option when you could design a school from the ground up was actually to design a school that ran as a community theater where you learned every subject through the process of running a community theater, you know, literature through studying and writing productions, science through building sets and special effects and math, you know, and through keeping the books and the accounting, like really a a fully immersive program like that. And I think the priorities that I, that come through in that are, for me, I absolutely love, I do theater as a hobby and I absolutely love it. So I think there's that love piece there, right? You want people who really, I don't think this is how every school should be, but I think this is how my, my perfect environment would be because it's something that I love and getting to learn things in that context. I think that it's real, right? It's the second thing is that it's real. It's, it's practical. You have to, you have to do a certain job. You have to get those shows performing. You have to keep the theater running. You have to build the sets. So all of the learning is happening in this very real practical context. And I think the last thing is I, you know, something I love about community theaters, especially when I was in the U S was that they tend to be sometimes in places where big professional theaters aren't. So they create, they, they, they serve the community in a way by creating art where there might not be as many opportunities to go see, to see shows, to see art, to see performance. And so this idea is something that contributes to the environment that it's in so that everyone who's a part of it feels like their work has meaning because it connects them with the broader world as opposed to just being, I mean, there's no theater if nobody comes to see the shows, right? So, so that I think would be my my dream school in a nutshell. 
do you know what show you would produce first? Well, there'd have to be some Shakespeare because I love Shakespeare. Cliche though it sounds, I think he's a real a real rebel in his own way. And I really, uh, even though he's, you know, got a terrible reputation in schools for being exactly the opposite, you know, literature with a capital L, that's not how I see Shakespeare at all. So I really, I think there'd have to be some, some, at least once a year, we'd have to do something fun with Shakespeare if I had my way. Yeah. Plus one to Shakespeare, you know, here I am in the UK. He's, the globe is just a little bit South and, uh, beautiful place. So I I say plus one to Shakespeare. Great. I'm glad to have you on board, Danny. (laughs) Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for being a part of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. Of all the things we talked about today, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? You know, we talk about love of learning and we talk about it in the context of students. But one of the things I think my colleagues and I are trying to do is also make our job as fun as possible. So if we're constructing experiences for students that are that they're going to love, it's also about us kind of loving our role in that. So I think when you're going to work every day and you're thinking about kind of where areas can be shifted and where things can change, ask yourself, you know, what's the stuff that you're doing every day that's killing you? Because it's probably killing them too. So let's try to shake that up and make it a place where you love what you're doing and they love what they're doing. And that often starts with something very small, some small tweak to how you go about your business every day, like waking up early instead of later in the day to go for a hike that can completely shift your whole take on your day. So I would say try so hard to think about the things you love and the experiences that you love and try to bring as much of that into your school, your work environment as possible. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed.